Yes, Tanya. Yes, Brooks having knee surgery. When is it? This fifth Thursday, and my dad's having finger surgery. So pray for them. All right. Thank you for remembering that. I'm I'm a terrible big brother. Sorry. All right. So uh, I was out last week. Uh, Jordan covered Judges chapter 17 with Micah and the idolatrous prophet. So I hope that was profitable. You always find Judges a very entertaining book, to say the least. Um, and Jordan and I were talking beforehand, the human condition has not changed in 3,000 years. It's the exact same. Issue one is the same issue, really, underneath that the children of Israel were dealing with 3,500 years ago. So I think it's important to keep in mind. But I digress. So we're in chapter 14 of Romans. And uh, I went through two weeks ago the first 13 verses. Um, but what I kind of want to do today is not a review uh, to be repetitive, but I want to go back because as I was reading through this chapter again, I think there was some things that um, as you read again, sometimes there's stuff that comes to you that didn't initially uh, come to mind when you were first reading it. So we're kind of just going to look at this chapter as a whole today. And uh, we'll be done today, I think. Um, the Richardsons are speaking next week, and then I think my uncle will take up chapter 15 after that. But quickly approaching the end of Romans, um, let me go ahead and just for context where we're at, let me go ahead and read the first um, four or five verses of uh, the second half of this chapter, verses 14 to 18. Verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with food the one whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So, let's just go back here for a moment. I want to look at this whole chapter in context. If you remember, the end of chapter 13 was quite a pivotal point in this section. And we have to remind ourselves of what time it is. We have to keep in the forefront of our mind that the imminent return of Christ is quickly approaching. Obviously, it was, it's near now, than it was 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. But then verse 14 of chapter 13, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And our worldly disputes inside of the church with brothers and sisters in Christ, I think we often forget whose church it is. It's not our church, it's Christ's church, and we are His children. So let us not walk in strife, or envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, keep that in the forefront as we're going through this remainder of chapter 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, in the beginning portions of this chapter, I won't go ahead and read it again, but we, again, we looked at the first 13 verses. Paul is addressing the stronger member of the faith. So, there's really two groups of people in Is my mic cutting in and out? All right. 
Um, if it keeps doing it, we will. So chapter uh, 14, let me get my train of thought here again. Um, Paul is addressing the stronger brother and also the weaker brother. So there's really two groups here. Paul's talking to believers, a stronger member of the faith, and also weaker members of the faith. But the first particular portion here, he is addressing the stronger person of the faith. And we see here in verse 1, receive one who is weak in the faith. Meaning he's addressing those who have no issues with the uh, food and the holidays and the celebrations of the past. And we'll get into that here in a second. The burden of having peace, of being long-suffering, is upon the member, the brother or sister in Christ, who has a more sure foundation in their faith. The one who has a better ability to discern, to show mercy, and to understand the word is the responsible party. Romans 15, 1-2, my uncle will talk about this in a couple weeks, but Paul really addresses it here. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength, and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. So again, we see responsibility here. Let me, uh, I'll probably get a new microphone. This one's cutting in and out. We good now? Now are we good? Okay. All right. Man, my train of thoughts out the window now. All right. So picking off or picking up where we left off, Paul in fourteen and fifteen is basically telling those who have a stronger faith to show mercy to the weak. Now, he says, let each one, when it comes to food, days, or celebrations, partake as they see fit. In the first five verses, we really see that, and even going into verse six, verse five, he says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Then verse six, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he who gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. So you really see the context that Paul is talking about here is in the church of Rome, there may have been disputes between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. There may have been Jewish believers who had really been grounded in the law of the Old Testament who were still celebrating some of the feasts of the Old Testament. And Paul's message here is is that there's nothing inherently wrong if a Jewish member of the faith is still celebrating that which is in the Old Testament. But then he also addresses the Jew for the sake of the Gentile by saying there's nothing wrong for the Gentile to not celebrate those Old Testament feasts, days, and the food that they eat. We know that the Church of Rome, again, had Jews and Gentiles in it. So there was probably a division 
that Paul is addressing here. So, trying to put it in some familiar context here, I want to look at um, I want to look at, at circumcision, and I think this is a very good example as to what Paul is really talking about here. So, question: This isn't trying. To, this isn't a trick question. But is there any verses, any passages in the New Testament that condemn the act of circumcision in and of itself? Is there anything inherently sinful with circumcision? No, the answer is no. So that's what, let's look at circumcision here for a minute. Jesus, nor any of his apostles, commanded the ceasing of circumcision. It was, it was and still a legitimate practice in New Testament times. Let me go ahead and read um, the first five verses again. But I want to substitute what Paul is saying here with circumcision, kind of to get ourselves a context of what he's talking about. So just, just bear with me here for a second. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute over doubtful things. For one believes in circumcision, and he who is weak does not circumcise. Let him who does not circumcise not judge him who does circumcise. So I'm just kind of condensing these first couple of verses when it comes to the context of circumcision. Because I think we're more familiar with circumcision than the food in the days of the Old Testament. If one person, this is verse 5, if one person esteems circumcision above another person, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So you see what we're saying here is that Paul is not condemning the act of circumcision. Peter is not condemning the act of circumcision. Jesus never condemned the act of circumcision. And let me give you an example here from Acts 16.13. We'll look at two examples here. Acts 16.13. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And this young man whom Paul circumcised was young Timothy. If you remember, Timothy's mom was a Jew while his dad was a Greek. So there must have been some difficulty that Paul was potentially going to have with these Jewish believers. So what he did for simplicity's sake, so that he could share the gospel of Christ easily with these Jews is for sake of argument, he circumcised young Timothy. Now you have to keep in mind here, this was not in a matter of salvation yet at this point. So for sake of argument, to share the gospel with the Jews, Paul circumcised Timothy. But Galatians 2.3, we know what Galatians' issue is. It is the idea or the practice of circumcision. Listen here, Galatians 2.3. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So it appears contradictory here that on the one hand, Paul is circumcising Timothy for the sake of the Jews, yet on the other hand, when he's dealing with Titus, because he's a Greek, he does not have Titus to become circumcised. Now circumcision, again, in and of itself is really nothing. It was a sign of being a Jew, obviously established by God with Abraham. But in the case of Titus, the Jews were raising a ruckus because Titus was not circumcised, and thus they were saying he could not be a believer. That was the issue. 
the issue of Acts 16.13 was not necessarily, again, in a context of salvation. Paul, in order to preach the gospel to the Jews of Acts 16, uh, excuse me, Acts 16.3, circumcised Timothy so he could go to them without any issues. It was only an issue in Galatians when the Jews, Barnabas and Peter, including in that group, included in that group, were making it an issue of salvation for a Gentile to be circumcised to be a Christian. Paul had the Christian liberty to circumcise Timothy so as not to offend the weaker Jewish believer. So keep that in mind here. Paul, as he says in chapter 15, verse 1, he includes himself as the stronger believer. He was a stronger believer. So in the case of Timothy, he condescended to the weaker believer, and for sake of argument, he circumcised Timothy. Paul only raised an issue with circumcision, the act of circumcision, when the Jews were saying circumcision, or circumcision was contingent upon salvation. It was contingent upon salvation. That's the whole book of chapter uh, of Galatians dealing with that issue. So I've used the example before. Um, I think this is a very simple, simple argument here, but we're saved, obviously, by faith. That's clear. We're justified by faith alone. So faith equals justification plus works. Man, Gary, this marker didn't last very long. <laughs> it was kind of open. Someone had left it open last week. That was not me. But we see here, let me, let me draw it again. And I, I, I love this illustration because of its simplicity. Faith equals justification plus works. And you can even lower works because they are secondary when it comes to faith and justification. So, Acts 16.3, the issue was not circumcision in a salvation sense. But in Galatians, they were making circumcision in order to be justified, made right in the eyes of God, you had to be circumcised. That is inherently wrong. And that's the issue that Paul was taking up with the, uh, the children of Galatia. So keeping that in context here of chapter 14 is that the issues that you're having with your brother and sister are not in a salvation context. Did you follow what I'm saying? It's not having to do with justification. These are celebrations simply of the Old Testament. Paul is telling the Jewish and Gentile believers that if an issue that you have with a brother and sister is not in the context of their justification, of their faith, then basically let it go. Let it go. Do not destroy their faith simply over what they eat, drink, or what they celebrate. But that does not mean that everything that someone does is permissible, as again, not to be redundant, but Paul went after Peter and Barnabas and the Jewish believers in Galatia because they were making it contingent to be circumcised in order to be justified. So trying to, you know, blend it here, get a little better understanding 
of where Paul's coming from. These are not salvation issues. These are issues of Christian liberty. And if someone drinks, the Bible does not inherently condemn having a drink. It condemns drunkenness. You're not to be drunk. But if someone has a drink, there's nothing that I can say that would stop you from having a drink. There's nothing that I can say or show you in the Bible to say, you can't drink any alcohol, because it's simply not there. So that is our Christian liberty that we have, is that we have to let a lot of things go if it's not permissive or if it's not disallowed in the Word of God. So I would encourage each and every one of us, each and every one of us in here to show mercy and grace to brothers and sisters, especially on things that are not inherently in the Word of God. I think these two verses in Hebrews really um, bring light to what we're talking about. Hebrews 7.22, the author of Hebrews says this, So much the more also Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. So again, back to Paul's point, is that the feasts and the celebrations and the things that these Jews did in Rome, they're really almost meaningless. If they want to celebrate those Old Testament acts, they're more than welcome to. But the principal argument is that Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament law. We no longer have to keep these ceremonial... They're they're no longer required. But if you want to, there's nothing wrong with doing it. Again, Hebrews 8, 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he's also a mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. If you want to celebrate, you're more than welcome to. But it's no longer required that we keep these old days and old ceremonies in order to be justified, in order to have faith. Christ has fulfilled that. And that's what's amazing. And that is the Christian liberty that we often have. But there are difficult times because as we're going to look here in verses 14 to 23, there are times where we can take our Christian liberty and we can take it too far. We can take it to the extreme. And we take it to the extreme by destroying another brother or sister simply by boasting that we have Christian liberty, that we're allowed to eat something or we're allowed to do something. So let's, before I continue, anyone have any comments or questions? Pastor, yes. Well, they were, they were staying away from the Gentiles in order to appease the Jews. I don't think they had to teach the Correct, yeah. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. Dad.
Yeah. <clears throat> Very good. Any other comments? All right. I hope I didn't add confusion. When I was studying, I was like, man, this is, this is great stuff. And uh, so if you have any questions, you can see me afterwards, too. And I'd be happy to discuss it afterwards. Tom, you have a question? Oh, okay. All right. Verse 14. Let me go ahead and read it here again. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Let me go ahead and read Acts 10, 13 to 16. And this is Peter as he's praying on the roof. He sees a vision from God, and I think we're all familiar with this. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up to the sky. So we see this imagery, this vision that Peter has, is all these animals coming down from heaven, and Peter and, and the Lord tells Peter, rise and eat. Well, there was unclean animals, and Peter says, well, I'm a Jew. They're unclean. I know, I'm not going to eat that. But the Lord's words here was that nothing that I have made is unclean. And really the point of that is that the Old Testament law, again, in Hebrews 7.22 and Hebrews 8.6, had been fulfilled by Christ. These Old Testament rituals and sacrifices and having to abstain from certain foods no longer applicable in the Old Test or excuse me in the New Testament. Why? Because Christ fulfilled the law. And I think that was kind of Peter's misunderstanding and a lot of Jews' misunderstanding is that those Old Testament sacrifices and all the rituals, yes, they were for edification, but ultimately they pointed to the insignificance of man, and more importantly, they pointed to Christ and how he would ultimately fulfill the law. And again, it also had context, too, of that the Gentiles would be accepted in to the fold of Christ, which we all rejoice in since all of us here are Gentiles. MacArthur states, The strong Christian is therefore entirely right in his conviction that he is at liberty to enjoy anything the Lord does not declare to be sinful. Again, if it's sinful in the New Testament, we're not allowed to do it. But in the New Testament, if it doesn't say anything then it does not appear that it's inherently sinful to do in and of yourself. But that is contingent, as we'll see here in a second. I think every Christian, I would certainly include myself in this, has a sore spot for things that are not condemned as sinful, but they struggle with. Every one of us has something in here that we find kind of offensive that's not necessarily condemned in the New Testament. I mean, I hate dancing. I'm just kidding. But there is something to be said about that. I, I, I make a jest out of that. But there is stuff that each and every one of us struggles in here that other people, other Christians do, that we find to be wrong or incorrect. But it's not necessarily wrong or incorrect in the New Testament. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that there's nothing unclean in and of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. This particular passage verses 14 to 23, is dealing with the actions we take that purposely or ignorantly offend a brother. Let's go ahead and read uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 9 to 13. 
Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, again, very um, applicable to this portion of Romans, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, would not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat this thing sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never again eat meat, so that I may not cause my brother to stumble. So, again, the first particular uh, verses of chapter 14 are dealing more with ignorance going back and forth between brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul's conclusion, starting in verse 14, is that there is nothing unclean. There is nothing unclean in and of itself. Even idolatrous meat that's sacrificed in the market is nothing. Paul says it's nothing. It's all right to eat. But the issue is, is that when you eat it, knowing your brother or sister struggles with you eating that, you're doing it purposefully with an intent or ill will, and you're causing them to stumble, then that is sinful. Because you're not doing it out of a kind and compassionate heart. And you have to keep in mind here, too, again, as who is Paul, who is Paul writing to here? He's writing to early church Jews, and especially the Gentiles. If you know anything about ancient history, the pagan practices that a lot of these people had come from were abhorrent. It was a lot of prostitution and sexual immorality and drunkenness and sacrifices to idols. So you can understand how a Gentile, if they see someone eating meat that was sacrificed to an idol, you have to understand and kind of sympathize with them that they may struggle with that. They may find that the person who's doing that is sinning against them. And Paul's point here for the, for the stronger brother is do not do anything that's going to offend or cause your brother to stumble in their faith. And we see that. He says here, do not let, in verse 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So don't let your Christian liberty, that which you have the right to do as a believer, do not let it be spoken of as evil. Do not let it be perversely taken as someone calling and saying that you are sinning. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, it's a reminder. What are the important things in Christ? Is it eating, drinking, and the celebrations? Yes, those are all wonderful. But it is peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Again, going back to chapter 13, keeping in context, knowing the time that now is the high time to wake out of our sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we believed. We can certainly eat. We can certainly celebrate, but again, keeping in mind here the imminent return of Christ to put on Christ, that is the important thing. That's eternal. Our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ is eternal. 
the food we eat and what we celebrate is not. So I think it's important for us to keep in mind what we're doing, what we're doing in a secular world or even in the church. Yes, a lot of times we have Christian liberty to be able to do certain things, but is it in our heart? Are we purposely offending a brother and sister in Christ? And maybe you are, and maybe you still struggle with that, but I think it's a compliment for Paul here addressing the stronger brother not to do that. If you think you're offending a brother or sister, then take it upon yourself to not do those things. And I think that's a compliment. I think that shows spiritual maturity not to do that. Becky? And uh, thanks for pointing that out. And at the end of verse 15, it says, do not destroy. This word destroy is not like utter annihilation. It's not talking about like the annihilation of hell. You're not going to send your brother or sister to hell by doing these things. But it is have a context here of ruin, loss, or calamity. So the believing brother won't be damned, but they may be spiritually ruined. And that's the difficulty here. And that's what we have to keep in mind. Are we spiritually ruining those for whom Christ died. I think that's very important to consider. Yes, Tom. Correct. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's not a game that you play, but I think it's intuition, knowing what to do and when to do it. And it's not easy. I I don't think Paul's saying it's easy here. There's going to be a lot of times where we're incorrect, but I think it's sanctification, uh, continually progressing and getting better and um, having peace with our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Correct. Yet, uh, Teresa said it's uh, keeping our testimony to them so we can continue to witness to them. Yep. I had a situation the other day with uh, somebody, and uh, I was very kind to him. And I thought, you know, I didn't, we, we think that when we witness, we've got to always tell people about Christ, but just my attitude in explaining to the person who I was, I'm not upset with you. Yep. Uh, Tom just said, reiterating that your actions are oftentimes a witness for Christ. All right, we've got to pick it up here. I'll get done here in the next couple minutes. Um, verses 19 
Paul again is addressing the stronger person, pursue peace. We see that in Romans 12, 18. If it's as much possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And then uh, verse 20 and 21, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. So this is really a summation of the whole chapter thus far. Is that nothing in and of itself is impure, but only when you do it with a contrite heart. We are new creations in Christ. Why destroy God's new creation for the sake of silly food? Uh, MacArthur says this, (laughs) We would consider it appalling crime for someone to destroy a Rembrandt painting, to shatter a sculpture by Michelangelo, or to smash a Stradivarius violin. How infinitely worse is it to tear down a work of God, a man whom Christ died for. I think that's a very good consideration here by MacArthur. And then verse 22 and, and 23, Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. This is a final exhortation to the strong. Paul approves of their ability to eat, drink, and celebrate regardless. You can be happy knowing that you are not condemned for the freedom that you have in Christ, in and of itself. In verse 23, final exhortation to the weak. So he has a final statement for the strong in 22, final statement for the weak in verse 23. If you th- uh, let me go ahead and read it. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. If you think your conscience will be violated for celebrating or eating something, do not do it. It may be sinful to do, or it could lead you to sin. And again, I think that goes back to verse uh, uh, verse 10 of the uh, chapter 14, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ for all things that we do will be ironed out in the end. And let me just go ahead and read these two quotes uh, by Joseph Benson. I think they're a good summary of, for the ending. The discussion pertains to Christians, and the whole scope of the passage requires us to understand The apostle is simply saying that a man should not do a thing doubting its correctness. That he should have a strong conviction that what he does is right. And that if he does not have this conviction, it is sinful. And finally, amid all such differences, the great question is whether there is true love to the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is, the apostle teaches us that we have no right to judge a brother or despise him or contend harshly with him or object should be to promote, or excuse me, our object should be to promote peace. So we've finished that up a couple minutes early. If anyone has any comments or questions, you can see me afterwards. I thank you for your attention.